Right, I think we'll, we'll probably get started um, as people drift in. Um, so I'd like to I'd like to thank everyone uh, for joining us in this panel. Um, we've had a, a great start to the afternoon or morning, depending on where we are in the world. Um, so thank you everyone for joining. And I'm joined today by uh, three companies uh, who have all been making a number of acquisitions over the last few years um, around their portfolio. I'm really pleased to be able to introduce uh, Brian, Sunil, and Andy from 8x8, Eng House, and Gamma, respectively. Um, please, if anyone is listening, would like to ask any questions, just drop them in the chat, um, and we'll try and pick them up and ask them as we go through. Uh, we've got about half an hour on this, so um, we've got some prepared questions to go through. Um, but yeah, looking forward to it. So maybe if we can kick off, I'm just going to ask a couple of direct questions to you, uh, uh, some of the people on the panel. So, Brian, maybe we could talk a bit around 8x8, around the success that you've had um, over the last few years. Obviously, from your financial uh, earnings that we heard a couple of weeks ago, been real success in your UCAS and CCAS coming together. Um, obviously, you acquired CPAS capabilities with Wavesell last year. How do you see them playing a role in the future? Yeah, for sure. Thanks, Dominic. Thanks, thanks for inviting me to participate as well. Um, yeah, I looked back because, um, you know, when you do these acquisitions, they kind of all blend together in your brain. And we, we've actually acquired five companies in the last three years. So that even surprised me as I as I did the tally. Um, you're right. In 2015 is really when we started evangelizing that unified communications and contact center really belong together. And the fact that they had grown up as, as separate industries with, with separate magic quadrants uh, didn't make a lot of sense to us. And, and I think what you're seeing um, across the entire industry now is, is realization that we were right on that. And, and you see a lot of companies trying to emulate that strategy now. Um, CPAS to me is the exact same phenomenon because it started on its own. It's had phenomenal success. It's growing like a weed. Um, people are building really cool applications, but when we looked at how do we address it for, for the segment we're targeting, again, it made a lot more sense to me to, to be on a common platform. So as you said, last year we acquired WaveCell, great acquisition, both technology-wise as well as geography-wise, which you know we've, we've used acquisitions as a, as a geographical expansion vehicle as well. But Blending that now, we earlier this week launched um, the CPAS platform across all of our primary markets. And we also announced that especially in the contact center part of our platform, we're now applying CPAS as a way for customers to really integrate more tightly with the rest of the enterprise application base. Fantastic. And uh, Sunil, I mean, Engels have made a, a number of acquisitions in the market over the last few years. And, be interested to kind of see your drivers behind those acquisitions. Is it really around portfolio enhancement or any other areas there? Yeah, uh, Dom, th thank you for having me on. So uh, uh, a number of um, uh, motivators, I guess, or key drivers uh, to our acquisitions. One is obviously uh, customer acquisition. Um, as uh, you know, you might be aware that um, acquiring new customers or new logos in the space is um, difficult. The sales cycles are long. Um, acquisitions give you a, 
a good way to um, acquire. I've been with the company for uh, 12 years and uh, have done 17 acquisitions. And through that time, we have acquired um, about 500 customers globally in, in the uh, service provider space. Um, you, you can't do that organically. That's, that's tough to take a very long time. Uh, the uh, second driver is um, we are a public company, so revenue revenue growth and um, you know cash flow is important to our shareholders. Again, um, uh, you know if you were to do that organically, it would take you a very long time to do it. Uh, the third important aspect to our um, um, you know the reasons why we acquire is for uh, talent acquisition. So if you look at the service provider landscape, it's uh, pretty complex. You're sort of going from network infrastructure to um, uh, applications such as OSS and BSS that um, allow you to run the networks. And then you have the services that ride on top of that, UCAS, CCAS, you know, video collaboration and so on. So, um, you know, you, you, uh, to, to be credible in the market space, you need to have the right set of uh, bench strength and um, our acquisitions, um, we, we always look for great talent to bring on board where we can help um, uh, set the future for more acquisitions for integration and for consolidation. And um, the last one would be a portfolio expansion. Um, we, uh, you know, uh, as a result of the um, acquisitions, we and and it sort of ties back to our customer acquisition. Um, as a result of the acquisitions, you build, start building out a customer base, and then you have a product portfolio. We have something like 60 products in our portfolio geared towards uh, service providers. So it sort of um, builds on its own momentum and sort of drives drives your organic growth strategy as well. Yeah, fantastic. I've got a few questions around the integration coming up later on, which we'll dig into. But uh, last off, but not least, uh, Andy from Gamma. Um, you recently made a purchase of Xactive. Um, really interesting due to those solid Microsoft skills and experience that you brought in uh, with that acquisition. How do you see that fitting in your portfolio in the long term? Yeah, hi, Don, and, and again, thanks for uh, thanks for inviting us on, and uh, thanks for putting on uh, this event. I think it's great for the chance for us all to to see each other and uh, and have some of these discussions. But uh, but yeah, I, I think um, I think with the, uh, the acquisition of uh, Exactive, I, I saw one uh, and has described it as fortuitous, uh, given the timescales, and uh, obviously uh, acquiring a, a business which has got such strong skills and experience around sort of Microsoft and, and you know, our communication uh, specialists, uh, uh, right, is, you know, was, was, was great timing, I guess. Um, but, um, you know, it is part of our overall strategy to build, you know, our, our sort of breadth of UCAS proposition in the market, you know, and I think, you know, exactly being a partner of ours for probably four years or so and helping us provide you know, uh, capabilities into particularly into the enterprise space back in the days of kind of Skype, yeah, uh, and when enterprise uh, businesses were asking us to to provide Skype services integrated into our voice services, uh, and now obviously with MS Teams and, and and the advent as we've been hearing earlier on of with the, the impact that COVID has had on on the use of Teams, uh, you know, now the demand is greater than ever, um, and you know we're not a single product business, you know, I think, and if you you know we, we're quite public with our with our strategy, and if you look at I guess where we've come from historically, you know, we've we've been really around making sure we've got the right customer proposition, uh, and and part of that is giving 
customer's choice in, in the products and services they want, but also trying to make it easy for them to, to bring everything together. So, you know, we see that, you know, the acquisition there to give us those Microsoft skills and allows us to sort of, you know, very credibly take, you know, a team's uh, solution bundled in with our access services, bundled in with our SIP services uh, to enable, uh, you know, an enterprise to uh, to really use those services. So it's, it's, it's part of, if you like, building that proposition for us um, that allows us to, to sort of address different parts of the market. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah, no, that's, it's really interesting to see the Microsoft um, fit in. I know 8x8 recently uh, launched their Teams integration as well. Um, I think maybe maybe we could sort of talk a little bit around that. Obviously, Andy, you've acquired Microsoft capabilities. Ryan, you've done some interesting integrations yourselves. And um, where do we see different, maybe not just focus on Microsoft here, but where do you focus on uh, key areas? Do you partner with some or do you acquire some? Um, what's, what's your strategies looking at that? Maybe, Brian, we can start with you on that. Yeah, so it, it's, a, it's a combination of both. You know, we on Teams certainly listen to our customers probably going back 18 months now. There, there were um, in the large enterprise space especially a number of folks who had just decided their strategy from an IT perspective was they wanted Teams to be the user-facing communications login that, that was utilized across the enterprise. It was available globally it's already kind of there if you're a Microsoft shop. So there's a number of reasons. So we, you know, <laughs> I've, I've um, competed, I guess, or been in the same space as Microsoft since about 97. So this is not new ground for us. And, and you know, I, I've been a believer that as long as you stay directly off the train tracks in front of Microsoft, there's tons of money to be made around that ecosystem. And so we're, we're continuing that strategy today and, and meeting those needs of the customers. Um, maybe too much detail, but I mean, to your question, we're, we are, you know, we've got a huge R&D uh, capability at 8x8. Uh, we capitalize a lot of our R&D costs, so you can't actually see it directly on the income statement, but, you know, north of literally 22, 23% of revenue goes into product. Mm -hmm. um, so we, we, we like building stuff, but we recognize we can't build everything and certainly can't build everything quick enough. So, you know, it, it's always a, a standard kind of make versus buy analysis that we do around here. And, and there's a lot of, there's a lot of things that go into that around the edges. I mentioned geography, like if we can pick up a technology and we like the team and it gives us feet on the street in a, in a new geography, I mean, that, that's the best of, of all worlds for us, I think. Of course. Andy and Sunu, would you agree with those statements as well? And what areas do you think you would invest or what products would you look at investing or partnering with in the future? Yeah, I think um, I tend to agree. I mean, for, for us, as I say, we, what, we, what we sort of focus on is really thinking about the, the, the person that's buying these services, not just, not just the person that's using them. And, you know, that's all to, that's about providing the whole solution to them. Yeah, whether that's a channel partner or whether that's directly into a, a, an IT organization within an enterprise. Um, and inevitably, the user demands and the, and the IT manager demands are quite are quite different. And you know, we know that you know you can't develop everything, and you can't necessarily partner with it. You have you have to have a blended approach. You know, and uh, yeah, we develop some of our products, we partner, and, and, and we've made some acquisitions. Like the acquisition we made of Telsys at the end of last year to give us some kind of contact center capabilities. Um, 
for me, it's about remaining agile, you know, because those user behaviors and those user trends, you know, do change as we know, and we've seen you know, massive shifts in the, in the last few, few months. And, you know, by getting the right kind of approach and the right balance of approach across, you know, buying or partnering or developing, you know, and, and really thinking about the, the person that's responsible for buying these services as well, let alone the user, you can try and get that blend right. Yeah, because you know clearly you can't just go down one path with each of those you've got to have a blended approach because you've got to remain agile fundamentally to answer their question yeah yeah so on that same question obviously you say 17 acquisitions um are there some that you partner with and you wouldn't look at acquiring anymore or building yourself or is it all own the full stack for yourself well um you know, we 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 look to acquire to fill in gaps in our portfolio, and and obviously, uh, our our uh, preference in in terms of that strategy is to own you know as much as we can, but it's not it, it's not a, a practical approach. So we selectively look at um, uh, partnering partnering to fill in the gaps. Having said that, though, uh, you know, it, it is it is challenging because of the pace with, with which you're sort of moving from a technology perspective and, and the motivation that, you know, you have versus your partners have um, and, and really the pace with which you're innovating or, you know, um, moving to the next generation in terms of standards. So it gets 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 a bit uh, challenging. So from that perspective, the preference is to, to, to own own all of the components of the products and the portfolio, but that's not always uh, always practical. Yeah. And just just on a, a subsidiary question on the side of that, which I think is quite interesting to look at. Uh, you've obviously made a number of acquisitions. Everyone on this panel has made a number of acquisitions here. <laughs> what have you got better at doing? How's your buying process matured since you've gained experience in these de- executing these deals? Is there any kind of best practices you can share? Something or maybe we start with yourself there. Sorry, John. Was it to me? Uh, I was going to point it to Sunil first, but um... yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, the the, uh, the the more you the more you acquire, the the better you uh, get at it, and um, uh, you you learn to identify you know some of the um, uh, success earlier on uh, in terms of whether your acquisition is going to be an operational fit or a technology fit or a cultural fit or or any other criteria you might have for your uh, acquisitions. Um, the, the, the challenge with acquisitions is that it it takes you from your day job so and it's and it's expensive and it's time consuming so the faster you can identify whether it's going to be a fit and whether it's going to be a, you know it's going to work is is um, uh, better for for both sides um and you know the i i guess the one thing that i've learned is really to um not skip on the due diligence um so minor details are absolutely important. So take the time to, you know, talk to the man, not only the management, but also the other members of the team, mm-hmm. uh, key managers, product owners, uh, technology owners, developers, and importantly, um, key customers. You you will be you will be amazed at you know what what you what what you learn and 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 the decisions that um, you'll be able to take as a as a result of doing that so you know uh, get get into the details and and take time to do it uh, we'd agree from that from the due diligence work that we've been doing um 
sometimes some of those projects will come in at the last minute and sort of test what larger less focused due diligence companies do and you look through some of the work and there's a <laughs> glaring holes and understanding on the technology um, and or the customer base where i'd say the clearest thing we see is a lot of people saying it's a cloud product when it's certainly not a cloud product um, and their migration strategy is it's not to them it's to something completely different um so yeah really interesting on that brian have you any comments on that as well from your your experience yeah i, I was laughing when sunil said uh, it gets easier over time because I, I think it's like golf and every swing is different <laughs> and you never know where the ball is going to go so I, I think every deal you know has has interesting unique challenges but um you know, I, on due diligence, I, I think the biggest thing I learned, and, and fortunately I learned it early in my career, so it, it's, uh, it served me well, is, you know, as an acquirer, you always know what your motivation is for being acquired, but in due diligence, you don't always know the motivation of, of the person that's, that's selling their company to you. And, and I agree with Sunil that ferreting that out at all levels of the, I mean, it, the, if you don't know what it is that is going through the brains of the people that are about to become part of your company and what they're really after, um, you're you're going to have some pain. Um, it's the old Mr. T line from from Rocky Three, right? So um, that may not—I don't know if that resonates on UK viewers. Oh, but, yeah. um, so, so to me, that's the, that's the hardest part of any diligence perspective because the 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 person being acquired, a lot of the time, their true motivation they perceive as a weakness or something that's going to drive the price down or something that's going to kill the deal. Uh, but it's so vital to, to get that out. Yeah, no, that's a fascinating insights from that. Andy, is there anything to add to that or are you? Uh... No, I think, I think, I mean, you know, from a gamma perspective, you know, those that know our business and will know that, you know, I guess traditionally and over the, the, the course of, of gamma's evolution, typically we've, we've measured on growing organically rather than inorganically. So, yeah, we've done now three or four deals in the past two years and uh, and we've learned a lot but i think i think just reflecting on that last point i think for us you know what's been really important is you you've got to you've got to do the work up front in terms of even before you get to the target you know you've got to be really clear about you know your strategic intent the types of businesses you're looking for and why and how they're going to fit in now clearly you're never going to get an exact match but when you do then start to talk to those businesses and when you start to uh, you know, explore how it might, might work when you start to work together. You've got some solid foundations there that you have justification for doing it. And because, you know, a lot of the people you're working with and talking to, you know, this is the next step in whatever their career is. Yes, yeah? so you're not necessarily talking to the people that are going to make money out of the deal. Yeah, and what you need to do is engage with those people and make sure that they're part of that journey from before the deal happens. And uh, I think what we've seen is that, yeah, by having, you're not being afraid to have those conversations before the deal signs. Yeah, and saying to people, look, you know, we want this deal to go ahead, and these are the reasons, and this is let's sit down together and work out what that could look like for the next, you know, six months, nine months, twelve months. Yeah, where what our intent is, if you like, for that for this deal, and how we see it fitting in versus how they see it fitting in. And we've 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 ended up walking away from deals when that conversation has not gone the way it should go, um, because I think as as uh, Brian and another saying, if you, if you don't do that, if you're not if you're not really kind of upfront with some of those things, then you know it just becomes very painful. I think after, yeah, yeah. That's a good, good, good points on all of that. Thank you guys for for sharing that. Um, so last last kind of point from me before we go open up to some uh, questions from the floor. Um, 
obviously a lot of this is around integration and making sure those products work together once you bring them into their portfolio. Um, it's often also the hardest thing to do is integrating some of these products in there. Um, we've seen a lot of people bring products together, even bring platforms together, and then two, three, four years down the line, uh, they're still running two separate platforms and trying to uh, kind of cap and grow, but not be able to do that migration part across there. Um, what are some of the best practices you've seen from uh, delivering on the integration side and bringing those products together? Andy, maybe we start with you on this one. Yeah, I mean, I think, as I said, we're, we're in terms of adding capability. I mean, I, I'm in M&A strategies in two, two main streams. One is to gain uh, access to markets through the European expansion, so the, the acquisition of likes of Voz and, uh, and Dean uh, that we've made over the last couple of years. And the other is in terms of uh, trying to build up the product portfolio. I think there are some differences here. You know, I think you've got to think about whether you're acquiring that business for the product or the capability. Yeah, I think Sonal talked about that in terms of acquiring skills and and and, uh, and, and IP basically in a, in a particular space. And you know, I think it's also been really clear what you're trying to do. So if, if you're buying a business, you know, it will have revenue streams, it will have customers, it will have a product roadmap, and you've got to be clear what you're going to do with that. Yeah, and I think you know right up front, you know, if if you are buying that to add to your existing product portfolio, there's a real risk you can confuse the market, you confuse your customers and your own staff. Yeah, and I think I think making sure that from an integration point of view, you're really clear what is going to happen to that business. If, you know, yes, you're getting some product, and yes, you're getting some skills and capabilities, but what are you going to do with those customers? Yeah, are, what are you going to do with that product roadmap? You know, and you know, are you going to continue to support it, or are you going to take the hard decision and shut some of that down and integrate it to uh, your, your sort of core offerings or your, your other core products? So I think, again, it's for me, it's about making, you know, making those real kind of tough tough calls and saying, look, yeah, let's let's not, yeah, the, you know, you could resist the temptation for that that kind of existing revenue stream by taking those tough decisions. Say, actually, the real reason we bought this is to add it to this product over here for us and going into this market. Um, and uh, by doing that, then you you give clarity to people at a time where there's there's confusion. So that's I guess yeah, where we you know, some of the debates we have, and I know, you know some some of the uh, some of the decisions we've had to make uh, when we when we bought those sorts of business businesses. Great. And Brian, obviously we talked a little bit earlier about bringing UCAS and CCAS together. How hard was that to do, and uh, was that a a difficult process? Super, super difficult, right? Um, many, many years, tons of R and D, um, and and you know the the interesting thing when you're building a platform, the the depth of the integration between the components, it it can always be tighter and deeper and better. And uh, it, to me, it's it's a it's actually kind of a never ending problem. There's there's always more that can be shared, um, and and I agree with everything Andy said on. You know, migrations, there, there's no shortcut. It, it is just hard, hard work. We're at 8Byte still in the process of migrating customers internally from our old platform to our, our new X-Series platforms. And uh, we've, we've said we're going to have most everyone over, you know, this calendar year. But that, that's, that's a case where I, I own both platforms. We have all the people that built both platforms. And it's still hard to migrate, right? Mm -hmm. It's hard hard work, it's um, it's risky from a churn perspective if you screw anything up. And so, yeah, when you're when you're bringing external components in, 
you know, what I've learned is that there's always that reflex to just, ah, everything's fine. Let's leave things where they are. And we'll just let that run for a while and, and we'll, we'll work on integrating it down the road. And that's, that's always a mistake. Uh, you, you want to get at it on day one, if not day zero, if not day, you know, six months before you do the acquisition, because mm -hmm. it is a hard motion. And if you don't confront it head on and, and communicate as, as Andy, you know, very aptly said to those affected customers, it's, it's, it's all problems. So, um, yeah, it's, it's hard. It is very, very hard. And, and I see the same thing going with CPASS. CPASS opens up a whole new dimension, especially in the contact center realm, because that's where massive customizations and automations and what's going on with AI can really make fundamental differences to our customers. Um, but, but, you know, we're, we're in the middle of it right now. It is hard, hard work. And, and, um, but at the same time, it gives you differentiation that, that your competitors won't have. Yeah. Finally, so uh, you obviously brought a lot of products together. Um, you said 17 acquisitions, how much of that is integrated into portfolio now, or how much is sold almost as single point solutions there? Yeah, so for, for the very same reasons that, uh, you know, Brian and Andy mentioned, uh, we, we take um, a more cautious approach. I, I guess, um, you know, at least for Enchow's networks in, in um, the portfolio that I oversee, um, I've been, uh, you might call it lucky in that, you know, I, we, we don't have too many overlaps and, and we look for look for um, integrations where, where we don't have to deal with product overlaps. Um, you know, I have some, but we take a more uh, cautious approach uh, where, you know, um, uh, I guess we, we do integrate from a sales and marketing and branding and HR and operational practices within 30, 30, 30 to 90 days tops. But then from a product integration we, we look for uh, uh, customer candidates we you know initially let our acquisitions run on their own with their own kpis and their own metrics and then we look for um, customer candidates where you know we have um, multiple products in within the same customers or the ability to bring new uh, bring more products to the existing customers um, and and uh, see you know where where we can integrate solutions to provide to provide more value. Um, uh, the more we bring to the table in the form of an integrated solution, uh, a we improve the value proposition to the customer, and b you know it's it's um, a better value from an end house perspective back into our organization. But you know, it, it takes some time, um, uh, but we think the way in which we do it reduces reduces the risk and uh, improves the chances for overall success. Fantastic. Guys, we've got, we've got a few minutes left, um, and I think it's been a, a great conversation we've been having. Thank you all so much for that. I'd love to ask the question what we're looking at investing in next, but I know all as public companies, that might be a, a difficult <laughs> one to answer. Um, but maybe we could get, if there's some top level areas, where do we think in I don't know, two years time, three years time, where are the investments gonna be in this space? What kind of technologies? Yeah, for, for us, it's, um, you know, I'm thinking of us more as a data company than a, than a communications or software company. So more and more of what is driving 
our customers' needs and, and what they're trying to solve in their businesses is around all of the data that, that accompanies these platforms. And I, I we're just cracking the surface there. So I, that's going to be a major theme for, for the next five or 10 years, I think. Great. Andy, any, any, any thoughts on that? I mean, we've, as I said, I mean, there's, there's a, we've got our stated strategy and we'll, we'll continue to pursue it. But I think, I think the area that we all need to be sort of conscious of, and I, I know um, Michael was touching on a little bit on this, on his last, last uh, presentation, but, you know, I think we've, we've always thought about, you know, we, I talked earlier on about choice and customer choice and, and, uh, I think with COVID and with the migration, really big shifts and changes in working patterns, and and uh, even from just corporate structures and and from an enterprise point of view, you know, I think our whole traditional way of looking market sectorization is going to change. Yeah, I mean, why are we still talking about numbers of employees, right? When we actually, yeah, we all know that we're operating in a particular environment. It's all about you know the, the challenges of being a distributed environment and a community of colleagues within it within an organisation. So. You know, I think I think you know, trying to get our heads around how that landscape will change and, and change the buying behaviours of organisations is going to be really important. And uh, you know, we're already you know picking up, you know, talking through with our channel partners and our customers. You know, just to give you an example, you know, the, the challenges of homeworking is that you know suddenly the IT manager felt really kind of great because he had everybody in a building and he felt he could control what they had on their desktop and. He could walk around and see what they were doing, right? But suddenly, everyone's at home, they're taking a laptop away. So what do I do about security? Yeah. So, you know, there are going to be some areas which, because of the way of which we're now working and the model we're now working in, which will last. Yeah, I think it will last and will, this will be a step change. We'll bring other concerns, if you like, into the sort of the way in which uh, organizations need to think about the sort of total communication solution yeah, and, and how they manage it in a much more distributed environment. Yeah. Any final thoughts, Anu, on, on that point? Yeah, so, you know, from a service provider perspective, um, I, I see, um, uh, you know, two clear parts of the business. One is the uh, providing of network connectivity, and we have a number of products that fit into that portfolio. Um, and, and the conversations there are always about either, you know, cost optimization or cost reductions or um, uh, productivity enhancements. But then with the move to um, uh, the, the cloud and digital transformation where the service providers also want to be, also want to provide value added services, um, cloud services, um, you know, we, we, we sort of look at this digital transformation portfolio and it, it's, um, it, we have some interesting conversations with um, uh, key stakeholders in, in the organization where it's more about, okay, uh, you know, uh, showing, showing you how to grow your revenue and um, uh, create stickiness and improve your ARPUs. Um, so, so it's all about um, uh, digital transformation. And, and in the context of, um, 5G, uh, bringing in services that service providers can sell to their enterprise as well as retail customers, uh, you know, TV as a service or uh, contact centers, UCAS solutions and, and, and so on. Fantastic. Uh, we are, we're, we're running out of time. We've had a couple of interesting questions come through. Uh, Trev's been asking around sort of, is there room for infrastructure players to add to their portfolio? Um, 
which I think uh, is an interesting point on there. Um, Yossi Sharon's asking around the importance of migration to strategy. And I think we, we talked a bit around that on the integration side, but um, I think that's definitely important uh, kind of points on that. And then around investment in project, uh, customers investing in projects that are still hoping to get returns on, will this stagnate customer growth post lockdown? Um, I think that's, that's an interesting point to look at and how many of those customers uh, we're, we're looking at this from a on our research perspective, how many people have moved in the last two, three months to a solution that they were planning to move over the next two years? And how does that chain of our forecast going forward, how does that impact? Has everyone moved who was going to move and needed to move? And now are we going to go fall into this kind of stagnant time where we're having to go out and hunt for customers again, find those customers and bring them on board? So, um uh, unfortunately, we're not going to have time to answer those in this session, but um, some really great, uh, great points uh, being raised there by the audience. And uh, Stephen, we'll, tr we'll try and follow up with you afterwards. But let's say a massive thank you to all my panelists uh, who joined me today. Um, it's been wonderful having you join online. Um, it's great to have such a, in three or four different countries, I think we're all based in at the moment. So, um, yeah. It's uh, wonderful to have us all there. And uh, thank you all for joining. Um, the next session, if you go to the sessions, uh, there's two more to come up. And uh, yeah, if you want to catch us anytime, we'll be in the expo or networking. And thank you all very much. Bye. Thank you. Thanks, Tom. Bye. 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 Bye.